0: Place of uh, genuine concern. It's coming from a, a person who has done the work, and and that's where that's where I've sought to achieve credibility. And, and then I think people, at the end of the day, Jess, they like people who are real. And so I, I I've always tried not to get caught up in the the posturing and the the bluster. I've just tried to be real and and genuine and. and Jess, thanks so much. Great to be with you today.
1: So it's been kind of exciting for me to watch you guys through the planning phases and to to have such a great launch here. I bet that feels pretty
0: good. It's a, it's a wonderful thing when you take an idea and do all the work to bring it to life and then start generating revenue. <laughs> it's a big milestone. Yeah, making, <laughs> making that money, right? <laughs> well, just it, it's, the, it's the market validation of, yeah, it was a good idea, not just... You may have thought it was a good idea, but no one else does. <laughs> so let's do this.
1: Quickly, tell everybody what's different about your phone company. Then I want to talk about kind of your career that led to this point. And then I've got a bunch more questions about the world of TrueMe.
0: Yeah, great. So we set out to create a new phone system for kids. And kind of the genesis on this for me goes back a long way. Frankly, long before I was a parent myself, when I was a student in university, and even back then, almost 25 years ago, was concerned about the effect of technology on the way we communicate. And <laughs> think about that, Jess, going back that long, it was just email. Like we didn't have smartphones yet and we didn't have social media and you know all everything that is a challenge now in, in so many ways. But I had, I, I wrote a, a paper all the way back then, walking through these concerns. And of course, that all accelerated when smartphones came out. And then, you know, the advent of social media has changed everything about the way we communicate. And then, as I watched this and as I became a dad, it became really clear that the challenges we have. Uh, as adults are dramatically accelerated for kids where kids don't know, they don't have the, 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 the brain development to have discipline, to have perception, to to understand what's real and not real, to weed through the the garbage and focus on things that will be helpful to them. So in our existing market, you've got kind of two ends of the spectrum when you look at providing technology to kids. On one end of the spectrum, it's it's the Wild West. You know, I could buy my kid a $1,200 iPhone and make everything available to them. And that's not the way to go. You know, and, and so many families are realizing that now. So they're, they're looking for other solutions. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, there are some some solutions that take the approach of, hey, let's lock everything down so a kid can do talk and text only. And I don't think that's the solution either because A, a kid has to learn how to use technology. They're going to need to learn how to use it as adults. And B, for a solution to to truly be helpful for a child, it's got to have flexibility. They've got to be able to use it for school. They've got to be able to enjoy healthy hobbies. And they've got to learn and grow and progress. So that's what we've done is we've built an operating system that essentially creates the phone that grows with your child. You know, introduce a younger child to a phone with very limited technology, talk and text, but then introduce email and introduce a safe web browser and pick from our suite of of apps that have been curated and vetted for safety and give kids the tools they need to actually enjoy the device and to be effective in school and their hobbies and enjoy life, not... Don't give them something they're going to outgrow in six months and be frustrated. So that's really how it all started. Well, I, I remember when you were first talking to me about
1: it, and I was pretty excited because we we're up against the same thing. I got four kids, you know, and like when when some other offerings in the space came out originally, we were really excited because for us, like you know, with with Child Rescue, we unfortunately probably know too many stories about how kids are targeted through their phones online, stuff like this, right? By predators and, and just, you know, pornography addictions that start in very young kids and just all sorts of things that are super unfortunate because of all the benefits of technology. So we're like in this all or nothing factory. And then all of a sudden these other options show up. We're like, Oh, this is going to be so great. And then once we looked at them, we're like, yeah, but that doesn't, that doesn't do enough. Like just, and then the other problem is quite frankly, like the phone itself didn't look good. And half of what kids half of what kids care about is (laughs) how what's my social standing because does my phone look like a ugly brick or does it or does it look you know iPhone-esque right yeah and that sounds so dumb but then I remember being like in the ninth grade and like I wanted Doc Martens because those were cool and I didn't want I didn't want like the $19 rip-offs that my mom wanted from the mall (laughs) I wanted to a hundred bucks and get real Doc Martens and like it was a big
0: deal to me in the ninth grade or something, you know? Jess, I received a pair of the knockoff Doc Martens, and I didn't wear them. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it that way. I know exactly what you're talking about. And and whether that's right or wrong, that's reality, right? You know, the kids kids do care, and kids are merciless to each other, and they do make fun of each other for stupid things, for things that shouldn't matter, for things that us as adults – you know, we can, again, we have the judgment to say, hey, that doesn't really matter. But so so in that vein, that was another one of the things we set out to do was to, pro- to provide kids with a device that they'll be excited to use. So we're using Samsung devices. You know, our first two devices that we've launched with the Galaxy A12, which just came out in North America in April, and it has a 16 megapixel camera, and it's, it's beautiful, a six and a half inch screen. And, uh, and we're selling that for under $200. And, uh, and then also the, the A32, which, is, and this is mind-blowing, it has a 48-megapixel camera on a Samsung device. And they're just, they're beautiful. Kids will be excited to use them, and they won't get made fun of. Well, I think, I think the other things, too, is, and
1: it, it's interesting how, like, <clears throat> we all, I feel like we, I've been preached to, at least during my career, I mean, with your marketing strategy background, I've, I'm sure you've heard similar things, but like, you know, that you need to be f- like, I feel like I've heard the virtues of first mo- first mover advantage extolled constantly my life. And then whenever I actually hear somebody who's done real research on it, they're like, yeah, no, actually pioneers come back with arrows in their back. Like, it's the fast <laughs> followers, you know, like, like. MySpace is not MySpace is not the winner of the social media game. You know what I mean? Like, it's the per, it's that it's like that Jack Trout book positioning. It's like the first one to genuinely get in the customer mind in like the the ideal way is the one that wins. But that's not usually the first one to the market. And like, it's interesting because again, my wife and I are quite excited about some of the offer, other offerings. But it's like you know, you look at the even on iPhone, like the the making your iPhone kid safe. Like, unfortunately, kids know more about hacking those than the parents. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if your kid's yeah. determined and he has any kind of, like, crafty friends in junior high, like, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, it, it seems like those parental controls are not as parental as you'd, as
0: you'd like, right? So this is, this is mind-blowing. I've learned from kids while I've been working on this venture. I've talked to hundreds of kids, and I've learned that in every high school, there are kids who get paid to unlock other kids' phones. Show up to school, give the hacker your phone and a hundred bucks. And at the end of the day, you can do whatever you want. Like that's real. Th- this happens. And so, and, that, and that's generally true of the native controls. And that's why we had to take a, a different approach than, than what's out there.
1: Yeah. Well, let's go back a bit
0: career-wise. You know, I think...
1: One of the things that I have admired the most about you over the years is I, I'm fascinated with marketing. I, we have marketing CEOs as clients of our at our consulting firm. I read lots of marketing books. I put lots of top marketers on this show. Like It's a world that I have spent a decent amount of time in. And in addition to marketing all of our startups over the years, right? And I find that you bring a different level of thoughtfulness to your strategy work, can you can you talk about how you approach marketing differently than maybe
0: the the industry average? Well, I appreciate that. I in my career, I've really focused on the power of building brands, and so I've and that and that's just where I was naturally drawn when I got into marketing. From the very beginning, I was just enthralled by this concept of you can infuse a company through its brand with a certain kind of energy that just draws people to it. And when you, when you try to do that and don't do it well, you know, as you, you create a a mediocre, a mediocre company, but when you can nail that, when you can create a brand that has this energy to it, there's a, there's a, a, a magnetism that is developed and in, in, at the beginning of my career, I realized that's what I want to do. That, that's the part of marketing that I want to be in. And so I, I read and read and read, did uh, did a lot of research and then looked at a lot of different models for how to develop brand strategy. And kind of out of all those things and the experiences that I was having, created a methodology of of my own that I offered to, to clients, over 20 years in 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 running a couple of marketing agencies and offered that methodology from mom and pop you know startups to some fortune 500 companies and that's really been the 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 focus is on is on developing brands and i've always thought that if you can nail the brand this the tactics follow pretty easily it's the it's the brand that's got to just be done really well so
1: my, my experience with people who are really into brand is that it's people who don't like the accountability of making money, okay? This is my, this is my, experience. they're like, they want to do something, they want to do something creative. They want to build a relationship with the customer. It's more like, it's like all the kids I went to art school with, right? Who, who, they want to have a lot of fun with expensive video cameras, but they really don't want to be held accountable for doing, for how much good it did for the business. Right. And, and yet when you talk, I hear this different aspect of it. I hear like what, what Warren Buffett says about like the reason he loves owning Coca-Cola, the brand is because people will, he says my, one of my favorite things about them is that somebody will cross the street and pay five cents more for cola because it had our sticker on it, right? Or he's like, uh, he calls it a durable competitive advantage when you've created. He calls it franchise value, okay? And he says like he owned shares of Disney for years and years and years, right? And he says if you're a parent at Walmart and you're looking at the mo- you're looking at two kids' movies and one's fifteen ninety nine and one of them seventeen ninety nine, and you'll pick the seventeen ninety nine one because it's got a Disney sticker on it. That's what I want to own. And, and so there is an aspect of brand, of brand marketing that, that is like, that is durable, that is genuinely profitable. And it's not just, I want to have fun and not be held accountable. Can you, can you weigh in on my cynicism
0: there? (laughs) Well, well, I've seen it. I know what you're talking about, but people who have that approach don't really understand what a brand is. You know, a, a brand is a relationship between a consumer and a company But at the end of the day, that's measured by dollars. Period. And if 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 it doesn't cause someone to buy or to pay more or to be a repeat customer or to share it, it's not truly a brand. You know, a a brand. If if it's less than that, is really just a good looking logo or oh, that's a that's a fun tagline. But if it doesn't come with the emotion, if it doesn't create the emotion that causes that long-term loyalty in relationship it's that's not really a brand
1: well and i think i think also one of the reasons that i have continually reached out to you for marketing advice and that i've enjoyed all our conversations over the years is for you i i sense this like holistic thinking like look at Trumi, right you are working on brand you are you are creating that like emotional feeling about the logo that is magnetic for parents, but I see what you do. And, and it's not just something from the graphic design department, right? Like it's genuinely baked <laughs> in like the fact that you, the fact that your plans start at 14 bucks, right? Like that is one thing I remember when you're when we first getting phones for our oldest kid and you're like, you know, like how, how much is the minimum plan? You're like I don't know, if, like I just want to be able to call my kid and tell her to come home from dinner from her friend's house down the block. I don't know if we, I mean if, if she needs a phone that bad. You know what I mean, right? Like that is a structural differentiation. Starting that cheap, and and then again, this like that you weren't just I don't know you weren't just putting lipstick on a pig. You're not just putting wallpaper on the same structure and calling it new and improved. Like the fact that the parent genuinely chooses the apps off phone. I, I'm probably not explaining that correctly, but I remember when you explained to me like the the like really full control that the parent has, but that ability to scale it up, that it's not locked at everything or locked at basically nothing. This isn't like, this wasn't like an incremental, like this is a a genuine differentiation that is like, you know, Peter Thiel zero to one or you know, how much Warren Buffett likes monopolies or a bunch of us read that book, blue ocean strategy <laughs> 15 years ago, or Jack Trout Differentiator or die. Like it's, it's genuinely something different in addition to the emotion you're creating around the brand. And to me, I guess the point is that that genuine differentiation feels like it's baked into this perception that uh, you're positioning in
0: the mind of the customer. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So yeah, <clears throat> good brands have got to have research behind them so that's that's one of the that's one of the things we spent a lot of time on you know i had a little bit of experience in the space but on top of that did some very extensive research that started you know just with with you know personal conversations i was having with people but then evolved into a national research study conducted by a third party firm to really test all of the assumptions that I had to, to say, hey, I, I think that there's a correlation between X and Y, is that true or not? I think that parents have A, B, and C as their priorities. Are those things really true? And anyway, we, we invested a significant amount of time and resources into to doing this research study to test everything. And there were some assumptions I had that were completely off and I loved that. That's great. That's why you do the research. And uh, and there were some assumptions that were spot on. Do, and do you remember any that were off? Yes, a couple of key ones. So I had always assumed that there was a big correlation between conservatism or religiosity and a parent's desire to provide their kids with a safe cell phone experience that correlation does not exist the the challenges that kids face with cell phones everything from content issues with pornography to the stress and the anxiety and the depression of social media that transcends every political background every religious tradition you know in the research that the court the cor- The desire for a solution was just as strong with atheists as it was with people who go to church every Sunday. So when I say transcends every background, literally, there was no correlation toward religiosity. So those were a couple of things where my assumptions were tested. Isn't
1: it interesting how convinced of our own ideas we can be, though? And that (laughs) it takes a bit of humility. It takes a bit of humility to learn stuff that we're sure is wrong.
0: It, it, absolutely. And I've actually been reading a, a lot about that recently. You introduced me to, to an author some time ago that has become all my reading, Ryan Holiday and all his work <laughs> on stoicism. That. And, and that's that's one of the principles right there, isn't it? You know, it's having the, the humility necessary to say, hey, I want the truth. I don't want the story that conforms to my belief. Can, can I
1: ask about this? I know I'm interrupting. You think of, I think about whether at EKR or, or in your previous world of, of running agencies, advertising agencies, marketing firms, creative, you know, somebody like, you know, when you get hired by Netflix, or you get hired by Google and these, you know, amazing clients that, that you have advised in your, in your, can you talk about the balance beam of like between humility and confidence and overconfidence and how, like, how you navigate that when you're like showing up to Netflix to tell them how to run their business, you're, you're, like, you're telling the people at Google how to, how to be good at business.
0: Can you help me out with, with your approach there? You know, for me personally, in in this may be a personal thing. I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer on how everyone should do that. For me personally, I've just focused on being genuine and pouring passion and preparation into the work I'm doing. I'm never the smartest guy in the room ever. But I try to be the most prepared so that if I if I do come with a solution, a suggestion, a correction or a criticism, people can tell, hey, this is coming from a place of uh, genuine concern. It's coming from a, a person who has done the work. And and that's where that's where I've sought to achieve credibility. And, and then I think people at the end of the day, Jess, they like people who are real. And so I I I've always tried not to get caught up in the the posturing and the the bluster. I've just tried to be real and and genuine and and like you know enjoy the relationship with people.
1: So I want to talk about this because I think it is something that that plagues the business community in, in the finance world, there's a lot of like, it's like junior high, like, Oh, I've done a bigger deal than you have my, or my, my shoes are more expensive than your shoes or something. Right. In the, in the startup world, it's like, I've raised more than you have, or I've got a fancier investor than you have, you know, like there's, there's constant comparison in being a human. Right. And especially with startups, there's such uncertainty. And yet, Investors in the market are looking for reliability and stability, right? But you can't guarantee that. And so there's <laughs> such temptations to like, create this cardboard cutout version of ourselves that we wish everyone believed any any tips for some of us who do get caught up in the posturing of, of things we can tell ourselves or or things to help us become
0: more real instead of on display? I would encourage people not to get caught up in the the culture of it all. There's a there's a certain there's a certain culture, and I'm thinking specifically of the startup world. Yeah. There are people that love the culture of the startup world, the comparison, the posturing as much or more than they love their ventures themselves. I, I don't know. I I've just that's never been attractive to me. You know, so I, I don't spend any of my time or energy trying to build this this reputation. I want everyone to know my name. I, I just I just don't get caught up in it. I, I I want people to know my product and whether or not they know my name, I, I really don't care. Yeah. Bill, you're not going to be able to give us very good advice
1: because I come by that very naturally. And I have to fight that about myself <laughs> and I have to read Holliday, Ryan Holiday books to overcome it. <laughs> See, this is the problem of being a good person. You don't have good advice for me. Okay. You're like, I don't know. I'm good.
0: Okay. But If you could just have a lot of, a few more faults, you'd be a better advisor. I've got plenty. We'll get my wife on next time. Yeah, she yeah. Can, She'll be helpful. She can provide a, a very well-rounded list. Yeah. Good.
1: I think, um, okay, but I, let's talk about this for one more minute. There is an aspect of putting your best foot forward too, right? Like there's, there's puffing ourselves up. There's exaggerating. There's, there's all the ways that it gets unhealthy and then falling off the balance beam. The other direction is like not putting our best foot forward, not giving anybody the kind of signals that we actually do have experience and did our research and stuff. When you think about walking that line, I, I call it like in the special ops world, they call it being the, the quiet professional. Okay. Like at the uh-huh. most elite levels, right? Like, you know, I'm thinking about like the CEO club events that we've been on trips together, right? And you're not the guy waving his arms around saying, "Look at me, look at me." But you come across like you come across very professional, very informed. What <clears> help <throat> help me understand a balance of not falling into exaggeration, but but doing enough to doing enough to put your best foot forward.
0: That's, that's, I, I've never thought about it in that context before. For me, it, it just comes down to, to being genuine and being, I think being interested in other people is key. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something, Jess, at the beginning of my career, I've, I, I had, I struggled with going to some of those events, you know, where it was a bunch of business, business executives together at the very beginning of my career, that was really intimidating to me. You know, I would arrive just on time and leave a little bit early, you know, because of the, some of the intimidation I felt, you know, just mingling and, and, and talking to people. And I read at the time, and I was, I don't know how old I was, I was, you know, fairly young in my career. And I read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And it changed my life, L- literally changed my life because of some advice in that book of you can have a conversation with anyone and you can have anyone like you, if you are interested in them, if you are genuinely interested in someone else, you can, you can, that's the, that's the fastest path to to a genuine connection. So that changed things for me. So I'd, I'd start going to these events or anytime I was establishing a relationship with a client and Rather than oh, how do I, how do I make myself look good? How do I how do I make sure that they they want to talk to me or do business with me or whatever the question was? I just went out of my way. I, I mastered the art of being interested in them. So you know, asking a question that leads to a follow up question that leads to a follow up question that leads to a follow up question, and ten minutes later, we've had a phenomenal conversation. That person feels like they know me but in reality, I haven't done a lot of talking. And uh, so for me, that was key. And I think became really a big driver of my personality. And then I let my experience and the, you know, the thoughts, insights, observations that I have about someone's work or business, whatever we're, we're dealing with. I mean, that just then comes through naturally. And, and, when you get when you can get all of the posturing stuff out of the way, you can actually develop a friendship, and uh, uh, that's been my approach.
1: Yeah, it's funny how much I feel like we've all been we've all heard this over and over, and I think most of us know we should do it, but most of us know we should drink eight glasses of water and go to the gym for an hour too, <laughs> <laughs> right? And it's not knowing that you should that matters; it's doing it enough times that it becomes a habit that matters. And anyways, I feel like you set a good example for me on that because I have seen you in Listen, we, we like to cut these interviews in half lately, so I think it's a great place to end for part one. If people want to connect with you online and uh, or maybe look at what getting one of these phones for their kids,
0: where's the best places for them to be? Trumi.com, uh, and we spell Trumi, T-R-O-O-M-I. So Trumi.com, and yeah, come, come check it out. See if it's a fit for, for your family. Love it.
1: Okay, everybody, please uh, tune in to our next episode. I've got a bunch more questions for Bill. Bye, everyone.